guys, we know you like to listen to our podcasts and reviews. We know generally that you like to listen to stuff. How about listening to stuff on Audible? Well, Audible? Isn't that what we do? Well, I mean, we do Audible reviews, but I'm talking about Audible.com. I mean, you're talking about one of the Internet's best resources for audio programs from leading audiobook publishers, broadcasters, entertainers, magazine and newspaper publishers, and even business information providers. Like over 150,000 audio programs, adding up to over 1,500,000 hours of audio programming. I don't think we're quite there yet. No. Yeah. But, but we'll get there. But, you know, obviously you guys like audio. You're looking for new audio stuff to check out. Audible.com has more than enough of what you're looking for. And we're proud to call them a sponsor. And as a special gift to you, we're offering you, through Audible, a free audiobook. All you have to do is click on the link on the bottom of this page, or you can go to audibletrial.com slash us. And by doing so, not only do you get a free audiobook, but you're helping out the site as well. And we know you want to do that. Of course you want to do that. Because we're standing outside your window watching you right now wanting to do that. Absolutely. So stop, look, and most importantly, listen to audible.com oh man so good to be back on digital noise my buddy sam yeah man it's been too long we taught we you know we bond so well i feel like you and i have something that no one else has and no one can take away from us it's a special connection i agree and i really (laughs) it's been a hard couple months actually yeah Uh, yeah i mean we won't get into it but uh, there's just... Uh, <clears throat> uh, Richard, we're, we're, uh, hi. <laughs> what? No! What are you, Richard, what is this? we can explain. What base betrayal is it? Explain, explain the, the recording devices and, and the big stack of discs in front of you. Explain that. The, explain that, Samuel. They were just set up. We had no... I, I came in, they were all set up. and Oh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's why you've got IMDb pages open. You were set up. It, it, it wasn't me. It, it looks very much like you, Christopher. It, it, it wasn't me. Who was it? It wasn't me. Was it snow? It wasn't me. It wasn't me. It was. Bring I him back. I can see you. I can see the pair of you. Hey, look. You're looking at films. Look, Richard, there's some beer over there. Now that heathen's gone. Just you and me now, Richard. I really feel yeah, like you and I have a suck connection. Suck it up. <laughs> I feel like you and I have a bond that no one can break. Too late. Too late. Sorry. We've gone down the. We've gone down this hideous, hideous path. <laughs> anyway, welcome, folks, to Digital Noise. It's me, Richard. I'm Sam. Still, Still constantly. Sam. Um, yeah. Uh, welcome back to uh, our regular listeners. Uh, hello to the first time for the first time to our new listeners. Uh, and of course, start off with a little bit of housekeeping. We are Digital Noise. We are part of the One of Us .net family. Uh, one of the easiest ways to uh, uh, help keep this website and all the other wonderful podcasts going is to become a subscriber. Uh, you can find multiple levels. They give you access to the forums, to all the shows, um, to extras and outtakes and additional programming and uh, uh, even the odd commentary track, of which there will be lots more to come. Um, but also, if you want to keep digital noise going, if you're looking at this on the website, if you scroll down, keep listening, keep listening, just scroll down, you'll see links to all the titles. 
that we uh, that we'll be talking about this week. And if you uh, you know click on one of those, that'll take you straight to Amazon, and you can buy the disc straight from Amazon. Now the great thing is we get a kickback from that miracle of commerce. Miracle I'm not quite sure technology. how that works, <laughs> but even better. Even if you don't want any of the discs from this week's show or any of the other shows, if you click through that link, anything you buy from Amazon on that trip and on that shopping uh, expedition, we will also get a little bit back from Amazon. So it really helps us. So, you know, say you're going to go off and buy a three-piece suite. Might happen. Uh, You know, just click on a link here and follow that through, and we still get a financial assist. And it really helps us. It really helps the show, and we really super appreciate it. So... Thanks, guys. Yeah. So, <laughs> you know what? Housekeeping's out of the way. Yay. <laughs> Clean sheets. I'm so pillows, glad I everything. hate it. <laughs> now I just lay in my underwear. What? <laughs> no change there. TMI. So we probably should get on with, you know, what's that thing that we do every week? The real purpose of being here? That would be the review. Oh, you always forget. One, two, three. The Reviews. And this week we are going to start off with uh, one of the best-reviewed films of the last year. Um, Selma. Um, I'm British, so I don't know about this bit of American history. What's it about, Sam? Well, Richard, I wasn't alive then, but I am taught about the civil rights movement in the 1960s. Heralded by the great Martin Luther King Jr. This particular film talks about one specific event where he went to the town Selma and organized a protest crossing from Selma throughout Alabama. And it's sort of just, I'm saying this in a robotic voice because uh, I think most people know the story. (laughs) But yeah, this is great. I think. David Aiello especially kills it in this. And uh, it's, you know, it's chronicling all of Martin Luther King Jr. The trials and tribulations he goes through. It's more about the man himself um, and him dealing with the president at the time, uh, Lyndon B. Johnson. There's a, there's a lot of controversy about how people are portrayed in this uh, during the civil rights movement. Uh, but overall, yeah, I think uh, I, I didn't see any of it. I thought it was just like a solid uh, biopic, and I particularly like biopics that chronicle one event. Yeah, I think that that's really where this works. Because if you do broad strokes too much, like uh, another movie, it didn't come out last year, but the year before, called The Butler. It's sort of too broad strokey and not enough time is spent on dealing with the person. And, and the butler felt very stagey and not in a good way. It felt, you know, oh, here is a character and he's getting old and there's emotional stuff that happens in his life and there's this coterie of presidents that wander through. This feels much more intimate. And I think what it does really well is it takes a major historical event and shows you in some ways how small it was. Right. You know, how few people were actually initially on the front lines, even though this was something that had a huge impact. Right. But it's yeah. very much, you know, the initial marchers trying to, trying to you know, go and help people register to vote. There's not that many of them. Right. And you really feel like, you know, they could be killed and no one will care. Institutionally, they will just be written off. And, you, you know, it shows the violence. Um, yeah, I mean, David Yellow, I think, is, is uh, 
fantastic in this, but he's not the only uh, great performance in here. Uh, I think particularly underrated uh, was Tim Roth as George Wallace, uh, the then governor of Alabama. And, and, um, you know, Wallace is a really fascinating character. Um, There's a really great documentary about him called Setting the Woods on Fire uh, that I do recommend that people see because he was a guy who came from a racist past but you always kind of you were never quite sure how much he believed any of this and how much was him being purely a political animal i think roth catches that i gotta say i mean for a film that is so historically accurate at so many levels uh when you compare it to a lot of other biopics recently uh, obviously the imitation game which takes huge advantage of some really you know horribly manipulative takes on on what actually happen oh you know my feelings on that Richard. yeah i know your feelings <laughs> but you know it's it's odd that there's moments i think that tom wilkinson is, is allowed to make lbj into almost a cartoon villain um and i do think that's a little bit disappointing um and i, I think it's less in the script and more in in wilkinson i don't think it's a particularly great lbj mm-hmm. i think that's you know he kind of doesn't get the, the the hugeness or the warmth of him, he just kind of reduces him to a, a, a leg breaker, and I think that's the problem. I think that's really where the issue lies. But the rest of this film is astounding. It catches the to and fro of the political situation of people who wanted to do the right thing but realized it was either politically or personally dangerous. And it raises the stakes for King. It also doesn't whitewash him. No. You know, he makes decisions that aren't perfect, that have consequences that he later regrets. You know, he's trying to stay a political animal as well. Uh, and I think that's really fabulous. I think it, this works incredibly well. Uh, this is, um, not unsurprisingly, uh, one of the most loaded discs of the year. Yeah. Uh, it's a, a Blu-ray DVD combo pack. Um, and the Blu-ray itself, it's just... It's, kind of ridiculous uh there's a documentary of the road to selma recreating selma deleting extended uh, scenes which don't add an awful lot the you know glory music video with uh, uh john legend glory. And, and common which is a bit i don't know glory. it's a bit hyperbolic for me i was not a huge fan of yeah. that song um uh, a commentary track by uh, Ava DuVernay, the director, and Debbie uh, Yellow. You know, just so much stuff. And there is also a lot of educational guide because this is intended as uh, ed- to educate people. And it's really fascinating uh, because when the film came out, the big fuss was all about, well, you know, it's impossible for a, uh, a female director to get credit in the awards season. And that was the civil rights discussion. Mm-hmm. And I think mm-hmm. in the in the wake of the multiple police shootings of young black men over the past few weeks that have really, you know, I think it's refocused people's attention. So in a way, I think the the Blu-ray release is slight, has become actually slightly more timely again. Right. Just purely by accident. I mean, there's no way the studio could have intended this. I hope yeah. not. Anyway. Yeah, this movie is just as, I mean, it's very important right now. And I think, yeah, it should be shown in schools and stuff. I mean, <clears throat> we know that actually, um, they're pretty much putting a copy in every single school. Yeah. Which is really That's great. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's like, good for you. You made wow. enough money and you, 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 your intention was, was polemic. And it's not polemic. That's the thing. You don't mm-hmm. feel like you're getting hit over the head with a history lesson. You just feel like you're being informed about a period that is now remote enough that a lot of people forget about it. 
shifting to another uh, biopic, which uh, definitely nobody was alive at the time. You're right. <laughs> Although Mike Lee oh, seems I like, remember those days. Oh, I remember those days 1775. when... 1775. I remember it's 1952. Uh, Mr. Turner. Uh, we're really starting off with the highbrow shit this week, aren't we? We are, we are going up Another market. biopic. Yeah. Uh, this is uh, Mike Lee's 2014 biopic of... Um, uh, J.M.W. Turner, the uh, pivotal British artist, uh, who he started off very much kind of the same kind of Victorian, well, let's face facts, chocolate box lid art. Um, but as time went on, he arguably became the first impressionist. Uh, and his stuff was radical. He caught the, the development of the age of steam. He abandoned formal structure. Things got reduced to blurs and lines and motion. He was decades ahead mm-hmm. uh, of his of his uh, of his peers. Um, but you don't really see any of that here. What you see is uh, Timothy Spall as uh, Turner late in life. You know, because you actually see portraits of Turner when he was a young man. He was a handsome guy. Can't say that about, about Timothy <laughs> That really Spall. happens in Hollywood where, <laughs> or movies where they, the actor is less good-looking than the actual person. Well, that's been Timothy Spall's career. Is being, well, I love him, being, yeah. Oh, yeah. He's, and I've you know, followed his career since he was on a... you know, He's been in a lot of Mike Lee's stuff, too. Oh, yeah. He's become a Lee regular. Yeah. Um, and that's kind of one of the things I... <laughs> You didn't like you didn't dig it? I don't like Mike Lee. Oh, this no. is one this is probably my favorite Mike Lee film. Oh wow. Um <laughs> but I you know I am not a big fan of his work. Mm. Um sometimes that you they you can feel the acting. The way he works sometimes you know and the people he works with um you can it feels like oh aren't we being very good at this? Aren't we being very clever? Um, and you compare him to Ken Loach, who really is his contemporary, and the closest thing in British cinema. I'm, I'm a much bigger fan of Loach's work. I think it's more honest. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it's more impactful. Uh, but this is really, you know, like I said, this is my favorite Lee film. It presents Turner as this grumpy old curmudgeon, um, you know, this snorting pig of a man with sexual liaisons with anybody that didn't get to stand still for more than five seconds. <laughs> he just sort of grunts like a pig and goes, meh, 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 lift up your skirt. Meh, meh. Well, he doesn't even it's say lift up your skirt. Thing. He just like, you know, wanders over, grunts, pulls up skirt, <laughs> penetrates and wanders off. I love um, it. I love it. And a lot, of the, you know, a lot of this is about his relationship initially with his father, uh, with the multiple women in his life. And I know, I, it... <sighs> It's very accurate, and it's very well done. How do you know it's accurate? Because, you know, I've read enough <laughs> That's articles. what they told me. No, I've read enough articles by you know, art critics rip, trying to, who are waiting to rip it apart and go, no, no, they actually get you That's know, great. the facts that we know absolutely right. I didn't find it engaging. I found it terribly pretty, I, you know, cerebrally kind of, yeah, I was like, you know, a lot of like, oh, nod, nod, nod. But it didn't catch me, which is really fascinating because Turner's work is so passionate. I, th- I found it, uh, I found it to be very engaging and, and fascinating for me. Like it is, it does sort of capture like 
the mundaneness of life. And I think that's what Mike Lee always sort of captures. I agree with you. Maybe the actor's a little too, like, they're too, uh, they break that wall where you, you, you see the actor. But I, I don't really mind that so much. I mean, Mike Lee's stuff has always been almost three theatrical, even though it's mostly improvised. I, I know he goes through like that improvised, uh, sequence where he sort of works with the actors and has them find their own way of saying things. And <clears throat> I find that as a director, I'm like, I don't know how he pulls that off, but, uh, uh well, I think that's purely because he's worked with this, with so many of the same people. Right. So, so they're often. all just, they're all able to create that organic, uh, structure. I thought, I mean, I, I agree with you. I think there is, uh, there is either like it either captures you or you're just not into that mundaneness because it is there's not anything particularly like ballsy or, or edgy about the film. I don't need that either, but I think uh, I, I I love that. I love just watching old uh, splices of life from a time that I have no idea, you know. And I knew nothing about J W or J W Turner, so if anything, I'm glad you said it was historically accurate because to me, like. It's sort of a history lesson, like, who is this guy? Like, and, and it is fascinating to watch these guys who are sort of ahead of their time, who uh, live in a society where everything is just so blocked in and, and structured, and they're, and those kind of people fascinate me. Yeah, I, I just felt there was something of the era missing. It's a very clean version of the Victorian era. Mm. Um, I, I didn't get the feeling that this was the birth of the Industrial Revolution, which was something he was really fascinated by. You know, he loved trains. You know, right. some, one of his most famous pictures is, is a train. You know, he's a guy on the uh, who is on the uh, as basically the old era is dying, and you are uh, you are heading first into the head first into modernity, and you really don't feel that in quite the way. I mean, there's a lot more about him getting into fights with other artists, uh, but then again, you're not necessarily introduced to them. So there's a long sequence where he they're hanging pictures and he puts a little bit of red on a picture mm. before it's just hung and then comes back and like sweeps through which is actually an, a true story mm -hmm. and he creates this boy but it's this red flash that suddenly draws your eye to his work in this room which is literally wall-to-wall -wall pictures well he did that to fuck with constable who was his great rival but you don't get any of that he you don't you know, that like that's the only time it refers to the fact that him and constable hate each other were, were at each other's throats for years and years well see i think like you're right but to me i didn't know any of that but i still got that there was that rivalry between him and some of these other guys i don't know necessarily know their names or what they're and if anything it to me it want it makes me want to research it more yeah or to look up what it like it sort of gives me this little taste of it um, and I, yeah, I would, I would say like, if you're a Mike Lee fan, you should definitely check this out. Yeah. And the, there's some good extras on this. Uh, there's an interesting commentary track with Lee. Um, there's a lot of discussion with the cinematographer about how they created the look of it. Um, there's some stuff on the history of Turner himself. There is, a, there, and there is one great shot that they actually have to go to great pains to say, uh, we didn't orchestrate this. And it is actually one of my favorite accidental shots in cinema now which I, well, yeah. which is the moment where Turner is walking through the countryside and suddenly half a dozen horses appear out of nowhere and just follow him <laughs> and they're just the wild horses that live there and they just went oh there's a bloke we're going to follow him maybe he'll give us some food and it's it's a beautiful moment yeah I mean it's beautifully shot like I said I just didn't find it yeah 
not totally engaging at any level. Um, so I think we're done with the historical biopics for a while because <laughs> quite dramatically. And uh, a real change of tone here. Oh, excuse me. Too much beer. Um, murder of a cat. Murder of and a cat. the angry letters are coming in already just yeah. because of that title. Um, this is a, a an odd little film. And I think that is the most generous way of putting this. This is a kind of... I don't think it's terrible. noir. It, but it's not terrible. I'm just, it's a very odd little... It is um, very weird. Very odd little film. Um, yeah, basically, uh, this kind of shut-in guy, played by Fran Kranz, uh, who lives with his mom and is kind of annoying and is trying to get his own toy line up and going. It's just... Mm. You know, he lives with, lives with his mother, played by Blythe Danner, still alive. Um, and somebody shoots his cat with a crossbow, and he goes off on a campaign to find out who it is. And it's kind of like it's kind of like a weird version of Brick in a way. It's a you know, it's oh, like, oh, attempt yeah. to try and do something in the noir oeuvre. Oh, I said oeuvre. Yeah. I feel very posh. Um, but it's it doesn't yeah it. it he kind of goes off on all these weird diversions and there's this plot which is actually about, well, you know, is somebody stealing electronic goods from a, a store and there's a weird romance plot line. And it kind of, it it works-ish. And I'm not sure what it is that's not 100% about it. The best thing, because this is generally true about all things, is J.K. Simmons, uh, who plays the local sheriff who is going... Oh, you're an idiot, but I've kind of got to indulge you because I'm sleeping with your mom. And he is consistently wonderful in everything, but this is kind of calm, mellow J.K. Simmons. This isn't yeah, this flash is J.K. Not, Simmons. It's not typical J.K. Simmons, yeah. This isn't your grandma's J.K. Simmons. And we also got Nikki Reed. You know, she's trying her best with her sort of subservient female role. She doesn't really have a... Too much to do. And then, actually, my standout would be Greg Kinnear. I think he's great. I, th- I think he's, you know, there's... The end is, I think, flat and kind of stupid. But he actually works as this, like, wholesale manager dude who's sort of in the middle of everything, and you're wondering what his intentions are. And I think he works great as, like, in that noir uh, sort of symbolic... This this guy that the main character, you know, is out to get... Um, like you just find out new things about him every time. I think Greg Kinnear pulled that off really well. I got to say, Frank Kranz's character initially was extremely annoying. Oh yeah, the you man know, child I mean, this, is this always is a guy who, you know, probably best known for Cabin in the Woods um, as the stoner who brings out about the apocalypse. Right, still is one of the dumbest endings to a film ever. Still <laughs> bugs me. Um, but he's really he, the character doesn't change but it kind of grows on you and i i disliked him less right. by the end you know and he like he is the prototypical man child but yeah i mean this this isn't terrible um and i think when it turns up on netflix you know and you're kind of bored and you're like i've seen every silly neo-noir there is right <clears throat> um you know I, I can quote looper backwards and forwards uh i think i'll go watch this instead and the you know there's worse things that you could spend your time doing. Um, like I said, not great, not terrible. Um, 
Something I, th- I liked a lot more, and I'm going to be very interested to hear your take on, is Black Sea. <clears throat> uh, I love a good submarine movie. I, I, I am a I am a whore for submarine films. <laughs> You're a submarine whore, Richard. I know that. Oh, something great about subs. <laughs> Run best submarine movie. Well, Das Boot. I mean, <sighs> come on. Run silent, run deep. Yeah, you, 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 you were so close. Plus, I don't count uh, Das Boot as a film because I was thinking of the TV series. Ah. So I'm always like, oh, where's the other five hours? Uh, right. But Black Sea is a 2014 British film um, starring Jude Law, who adopts a great Scottish accent. Like he really, he really goes goes full bore on this um, as a salvage uh, submarine um, pilot who suddenly finds that they don't need any anymore. Uh, ROVs have made his whole purpose in life redundant. He's always been a contractor, so they. He's not even got a pension. He's got nothing. He's lost his family to this this whole thing. And suddenly somebody comes along and says, hey, there's a Russian sub in the middle of the Black Sea. And it's filled with lost gold that Stalin was going to give to the Nazis to bribe them to not invade him. And it's all just there at the bottom of the sea. Put together a covert team. Go out. Take an old sub out there. Yeah. Find an old Russian sub. Half, half British team, half Russian team, go and reclaim this. As massively, stupidly dangerous a plan as you would automatically presume. <laughs> yeah. And clearly, things are going to go horribly, horribly right. wrong. Cue the drama, right. I think, uh, I, I'm I'm so fascinated by Kevin McDonald mostly. I've seen, all of his films are just like, so, he, he's great with spectacle. And I think this movie too, like, was under the radar and, it was just so great. I mean, I I, I dig uh, submarine movies too, and I think what's fascinating about submarine movies is it's it's you know, it, everyone feels the tension, everyone feels the claustrophobia of it all, and there's you feel like every minute is important. Yeah, and especially in this movie, there's just so many moments where you're just like, they have X amount of minutes to get this thing done, or you know, everything's ruined. Or everything could go wrong, and you're just you're just watching as things go wrong, and you're and you feel that you f- I love that when you can just feel like you actually want these guys to kind of pull through, even though they everyone you know there's always the one guys who are just going to fight and ruin everything. You know? And it and it catches the sense of claustrophobia as well. Oh, absolutely. If you've ever actually been in a submarine, there is nothing spacious about them, right, and it no. really brings home this is grimy, stinking, sweaty environment where. Even if things go right, there's a good chance you will die. And things definitely don't go right at all. And I think it, it's it's not one of the greatest sub-movies, but nobody's made a sub-movie in a while. No, you know, yeah. So that happy. genre has uh, it's died coming. away a little bit. But yeah, this is this is a, a solid thriller. Um, bleak. Bleak as all hell. There's a couple of character beats I thought were off. There's uh, one guy who keeps accidentally killing people, uh, which is, you know... <laughs> Just it, that scene, that, that's done to drive the plot. Right. Because he, there's one point where he does something and your only thought is, yeah, I understand why you're doing it, but it, you would know that's a stupid idea. Right. You would understand that you've actually, you, you think this is going to increase your chances of survival. It's actually made it far worse. Right. It's what I call descent syndrome. 
<laughs> I keep coming back to the descent on this because the stuff that the uh, the cavers do in the descent that I go, you wouldn't do that. Your right. character would not do that. That's just silly. And there's yeah, there's a couple of moments where, and you'll see them come. You'll go, why would you do that? Even if you're panicking, that's not what you're going to do. And you're clearly not panicking. You're just being stupid. Right. Can't we just have one disaster film where somebody just makes the right decision and everyone comes out clean and everyone comes out rich? I want everyone to come out rich. I'm a good guy. Share some of that goal with me, you know? Have you ever Have you ever seen... Um, uh, U571? Un- yeah. <laughs> the Unnameable. No, I haven't watched that. It's a terrible, terrible uh, Lovecraft horror film, apart from the fact that it's got one character called Carter. And Carter... At the point where everybody goes, let's go to the mysterious house where all our friends have disappeared. He goes, no, I'm going to go to the well-lit library and I'm going to find the spell book that's there and I'm going to read the spell and that's going to solve everything. You all go up there and die. I don't know why you're doing this. We can do this at a distance. Fine. And I've always called him Carter the Unstoppable Sense Machine. And you want more Carters in films. You want more people to go, no, this is stupid. Why would you, like, you know, you suddenly realise how many films totally depend on people being idiots. Yeah. Well, uh. then there wouldn't be films. <laughs> yeah. Well, there would, because sometimes ego will get a lot of shit done. Hmm. Which brings us to Frank Sinatra. <laughs> Frank Sinatra. <laughs> I love that. That was a smooth segue. That was smooth. Yeah. Uh, yes. Um, the Frank Sinatra uh, collection on Blu-ray. Now, this is five of Frank's um, biggest titles. I haven't watched these in years, but I have watched them. But I know you waded through. This yeah, I, I've actually haven't seen any of these. You ha- what? Yeah, I know. How? I don't know. I've just never been into Frank Sinatra before. I mean, I've been actually I've been into Gene Kelly, but these are the only Gene Kellys. I, I remember seeing Anchors Away a long time ago, but uh, yeah, this is the uh, Frank Sinatra. I, I think it leans more towards his Rat Pack. Yeah, there's like you know half Rat Pack, uh, sort of his musicals, and half. Uh, stuff he did with Jim Kelly, where he's trying to dance along Jim Kelly, and he does a pretty good job. He's still, you know, not as fast as Jim Kelly. He he's no hoofer. Well, you know, it's I I, I give him an A for effort. And uh, <laughs> Anchors Away, um, I, I can't really. I mean, Anchors Away and On the Town are both essentially the same plot. It's about sailors who are off for a day or two, and specifically on the town, they're off for a day, so you're sort of like. You know, they give you the little rundown of what time it is. Uh, Anchors Away, you know, Gene, uh, Frank Sinatra, Gene Kelly, both out on the town. Uh, they're both looking for ladies. They're looking for dames. Looking for little dates. Uh, I mean, both looking of those Looking for some moves. hotties out on the bazaar. It's hotties out there. You know, it's a you know, classic 40s. Uh, <laughs> Did they have a jig on Tammany Hall while they're there? Right. Do a, little, do a little song and dance for a girl. They find this... And uh, Anchors Away, they find a girl uh, who has a son. She's, you know, downtrodden woman. Frank Sinatra falls for her, you know, and then the classic switcheroo. I, I, think, I think downtrodden women should probably steer clear of Frank Sinatra, <laughs> exactly. considering his, uh, his attitude yeah. and a few things. You actually watched the Frank Sinatra documentary, Frank uh, Sinatra All or Nothing. That's actually a really great piece to watch when you're if you're watching this because you get to hear about all his women exploits and you know just a rundown on who he is because i really i mean i i know his music but i don't know a lot about like his mia farrow phase and stuff like that and um, he never knew the mob yeah he had nothing to do with the mob no no nothing at all <laughs> no connections with the mob no 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 a wink 
Uh, a wink and a nod. Yeah, I mean they're all. I mean they're all. You understand why they're all uh, classic films. I mean Ocean's Eleven and Robin and the Seven Hoods. You could tell he was. Uh, it was sort of just an excuse to get all the guys together and make a film and hang out with his buddies. But uh, there's uh, Ocean's Eleven. Uh, there's a really good book, um, which is called, uh, called Rat Pack Confidential, mm-hmm. which basically chronicles the making of Ocean's Eleven. And it was really just they convinced the studio to give them a large amount of money to go to Vegas and do what they did anyway. Right. Which was get drunk and do their sets. And they that's what they do. And it's funny because, you know, when uh, Soderbergh did the modern version, mm-hmm. he took the plot and threw out all the ego bullshit of just hanging out with your friends. Right. And then Ocean's 12 is clearly the ego bullshit of just hanging out with your famous friends in Vegas. Right. Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> like, Ocean's 12 is a remake of Ocean's 11. You're trying to get a reference on I actually like Ocean's 12 better than Ocean's 11. Well, yeah, I'm, but you're wrong. I like this. I like the style of it. It's yeah, a little more stylized. Yeah, but it's got no plot. Oh, I don't need plot. <sighs> Heathen. <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, like... And the thing here that you're really coming for, you know, is the songs. You know, yeah, the music Guys and Dolls, this is, you know, Sinatra's Nathan Detroit is just, he is Nathan, isn't he? I'm trying to remember. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. He, yeah, he's, this is just, you know, phenomenal stuff. This is, you know, any extras on this? Or My there... favorite, uh, I'm not sure. Uh, I didn't check those out, but I mean, I'm sure there is. They have a little, you get a little photo book with it, which is cool. You get a lot of like behind the scenes photos. My favorite one out of these was probably on the town. Uh, it's uh, it doesn't have you know the Gene Kelly dancing with uh, Jerry the mouse you know the famous scene, but all the all the musical numbers in that are just fascinating. So I mean I I definitely dug that the most. Uh, yeah, I'm not sure if uh, it, it looks it's like it's a little, good. it's a little light. Uh, yeah. on, on the extras, uh, it's unfortunate, but I mean I mean they're all beautiful looking Blu-rays and. Uh, if you if you are like me and don't aren't familiar with the Frank Sinatra uh, musical phase or even some of his older stuff, even Robin Hood and the Seven Hoods has a few fun things to offer, like the Sammy Davis Jr. Uh, bar dancing shootout scene. Uh, if you know nothing about any of the Rat Pack people, this is definitely a good collection to check out. And you know. He- I, it looks like the restorations are so good, I and mean, there's been so long of just you know bad pan and scan or right. you know, transfers oh, from VHS beautiful. that actually a decent restoration is probably uh, well overdue. Um, slightly more timely for other reasons, not least the release of the sequel uh, <laughs> is uh, Pitch Perfect, the Acker Awesome Edition, because yeah. apparently. You really need to sing along. Yeah, now, I thought sing-along discs were pretty much restricted to you know Disney musicals, uh, but apparently not. Uh, with Pitch Perfect two released this week, in fact, oh, mysteriously, wow. <laughs> we have a new edition. So yeah, pick up your old copy and burn it. Burn it like the trash that it is. You gotta get the awesome one. Oh my god. Um, <laughs> yeah, honest, honest admission, I hadn't actually seen this. Oh no! Yeah, uh, it was the weird gap in my uh, Anna Kendrick um, uh, catalog, which is kind of weird because I've seen pretty much everything because she's great. I'm an Anna Kendrick completist. Well, she's and... Anna Kendrick is just you know charisma in a tiny little yeah uh, tiny little package. Um, 
who takes weird choices. Um, you know, working with Joe Swanberg, you know, which you know not every mainstream actress is going to do, but she goes, yeah, I'll go make two films with Swanberg, one of them on 16mm, because that's what I do. And I'm like, <laughs> good for you. This is, this is a weirdly very mid-1990s kind of uh, Early girl-friendly yeah. studio pick. Uh, the basic plot, if you if you haven't seen it, which I think pretty much everybody on the planet, including now me, uh, has seen, is that uh, Anna Kendrick um, um, plays a, a, a girl who goes to college, Becca, and uh, she gets convinced, basically, you know, <laughs> shower accosted in one of the weirdest but kind of like nicely tone setting scenes uh to join uh the Baden Bellas mm. uh who are the all female a cappella group who have crapped out in the national championships the previous year in a wah, quite spectacular <laughs> projectile vomiting incident uh there's a lot of vomit humor in this film it's really <laughs> yeah well, you <laughs> including know, thought... a puke angel sequence which I was like did not see that coming in. How's the film. a sequel gonna? How's it gonna do better than that? Like, a, there's got to be a shit on shitting on the stage. Apparently, there's a lot of vagina. Mm. There's actually more PG, vagina this time. PG thirteen. Yeah, uh, I no, I mean, it's all implied. Uh, <laughs> Shadow vagina. This is, you know, I mean, they, it, it's very much oh, you know, kind of the outsider, alternative girl gets taken into the into the sorority esque environment, and it turns out they're all misfits. Uh, so you've got you know, Rebel Wilson as Fat Amy, who mm. does have that. You know, there's some sharpness to the to the script there because you know she's asked why do you sort and call yourself you know Fat Amy, and her response totally deadpan is because skinny bitches like you are going to call me that anyway. I'm like, that's a really solid piece of writing here. There's some really interesting moments. And, you know, it's very much oh we're going to get to the end and we're going to yeah you know, we're going to come through and the alternative girl is going to save the day by convincing them to move beyond the uh, you know the old well, paradigm of flat performances. Yeah, right? and it's like yeah, it does what uh, so yeah it's an a cappella version of Footloose. Um, it took it took me a while to watch this, and I I'm really glad I did because you're right. It is real smart and real sharp, and um, <clears throat> it's the kind of movie that uh, you know would have come out you know around maybe Mean Girls that time. But I'm glad it came out now, and and it, and it has a lot of it, it does feel like that same like formulaic style, but it's almost very self aware. Um, uh, what's his face is grading it. Adam uh, Divine, is I want to say. Oh, or yeah, uh, the guy from Workaholics. Uh, he's he's great, and I think you yeah, know, Adam Divine, who is is really turning out to be kind of a bit of a power player. That guy is that guy is good. He has evil chops, and he he deploys them quite happily. He plays obnoxious like superbly, and I th- and I you know I love that kind of character. I, I love. Uh, Hannah May Lee as uh, l- the little Lily Akinamara, the the one who's you know murmuring that she found dead bodies to herself. Yeah. Little characters like I that make guys. it work. Um, yeah, like, I mean, there's a lot of there's a lot of cliche going on, but it's nicely subverted as right. well. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I, no, this is a, a solid little film. But you know, if you have it already. Do you need to sing? Do along you with really it? need the sing along version? Yes, you do at drunk parties. Um, you know, I and the musical routines really work. 
that's why this is actually successful is you know it knows its influences there's uh, elizabeth banks makes some pretty clear best in show waiting for guffman right <laughs> homages as the as part of the commentary team right um and i think this was actually her passion project originally i think this is like banks inspired um she's really great in, in that mm-hmm. um you know the version of no diggity in a uh, in a, an empty swimming pool is phenomenal. I will say that. I haven't used the word phenomenal on the show in a while because people will be like, you say things are phenomenal too often. And I was like, nah, shut up. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, phenomenal is back for this because, you know, those sequences. But like I said, if you've got this, I don't know you need to spend the money on the... I don't you know, have just a you know, sing-along version because you could just turn the subtitles on. And it's the same thing. Don't you forget about me. <laughs> I can't. You sat right there. That's all you need to know. But, yeah, uh, you know, it's pitch perfect. What do you need to know? Um, Moving to another Rebel Wilson film that I'm not going to be as nice. It's not a Rebel Wilson film, really. Uh, She's on the cover. cover And she's in the cast. And she says lines. She has lines. I feel like they dubbed all of her lines in this. I feel like like she's, I mean, she's not... I, I was looking for that, like, f- like her Pitch Perfect type one-liners, but if they were at all supposed to be, like, she's supposed to nail it, I think they ruined it with some really shoddy CGI. Oh, that, I mean, let's, that, let, let, I mean, yeah, don't get me started. The, the whole movie is terrible. The yeah, I think I think Rebel Wilson's flat flat sub fat Amy performance is the least, least terrible thing about this 2011 Australian British comedy. I'm like, oh my god! Now hitting the states. Now hitting the why. states for because Rebel Wilson was on the cover of EW last mm. week, <laughs> and I think people. Went, oh yeah, this is Shit. is this pre Pitch Perfect? Yep, this is ah. 2011. This is abysmal. Yes. Um, this is... There's a certain level of, of British comedy um, that has never got past Guy Ritchie um, and his <clears throat> his ability to treat all men like complete buffoons, but you're still supposed to like them and think they're funny when they're not. And I'm sure pretty much every member of the cast of this is probably going, really, shitting me. This <laughs> is coming out again now. Why? I mean, yeah, send me the royalty checks, but <laughs> basic plot. Um, uh, Xavier Samuel plays a guy who uh, meets this this delightful Australian, uh, and they decide to get married. And he brings his friends from the UK, and, and chaos ensues. Hilarity, you'll uniformly laugh. fails to ensue you'll at every cry. level. I did cry a little bit. You'll no. see a ram dressed up like a girl. You'll and wonder why I'm watching this. You'll see a ram uh, get anally fingered. Is Spoiler. A... Oh, yeah. Yeah, no, there's nothing to there's spoil nothing about to this spoil. one. Yeah, it turns out that, you know, his fiance's family are all, you know, super politically connected, wealthy, blah, blah, blah. They're all wonderful. Yeah. This is just fish out of water stuff. And it's awkward as hell. There's mm-hmm. nothing funny here. I didn't laugh once. Yeah. And normally, you know, you go, well, you know, you've got a kind of screwball comedy vibe of, you know, they're trying to hide a ram's corpse, and then it turns out the ram's not really dead. Nothing. I'm looking not for a highbrow chortle. humor, Richard, and yeah, I didn't find it here. And honestly, there's movies that are this bad that are, like, just funny, 
just because they're bad. And it's not even like that kind of bad either. It's unfortunate how low this brings you as a human being. I, I did kind of despair. And the weird thing about this, this is from the director of The Adventures of Priscilla Queen. No. Yeah, this is Stephen Elliott. This is Stephen Elliott. This is... You know, and it's like you kind of go, oh, what's he done since... since um, uh, Adventures of Priscilla, Queen's Desert. Nothing. Nothing worth talking about. I had the Beholder is nothing. <clears throat> yep. Yeah. Easy it's virtue. <laughs> yeah. This like this is... It's flat. It's unfunny. It's kind of the worst form of dude bro comedy with no self-awareness. The central character's friends are all terrible. Rebel Wilson... Uh, clearly, they redesigned the poster to take uh, the slot of one of the other best men. Because <laughs> there's four slots. She's and there's one the, of the best men. Yeah, there's the goofy friend, and there's the bridegroom, and there's the scummy, reprehensible friend, and the other friend who isn't there because they put a picture of Rebel Wilson there for no good reason because she has like five lines in the entire thing. This is just inexcusable. Although, the, the one redeeming-ish feature about this purely for historical oddity factor olivia newton john turns up oh, yeah? as, uh, as the soon-to-be mother-in-law oh. uh coked off her tits oh, i didn't really you're the that. cleanest living member of the <laughs> of 1970s and 80s pop you know sandra d from greece oh she's she's doing up the coke in this she is yeah and it's like why would you why would you do this who is this supposed to appeal to this is for Olivia Newton-John and Rebel Wilson completists only <laughs> potentially best if you were completed to both of you because like that you are the one person <laughs> who who this abysmal film uh, is, is aimed at nothing nothing works nothing's funny uh, some dismal CGI in various places Although there are a couple of sequences where you kind of go, well, Australia is pretty. <laughs> well, that's something. Yeah, I mean, and, it's, and the to. whole thing is like, you know, oh, these couple get married, are they supposed to really know who they are, who each other is? Um, and then they go, oh, yeah, let's just buy some beachfront property. Like, that's not the basis for a happy marriage. <laughs> Speaking of not the basis for a happy marriage, uh, I'm going to say this right now, and when I mentioned this to Chris, the vile, treacherous whore. <laughs> <laughs> Back in your box, you. Um, this is absolutely my pick of the week. And this is uh, The Last Five Years, mm. um, which is our second uh, Pitch Perfect related film. Um, this is an adaptation of the off-Broadway uh, musical comedy drama. Oh, uh, off-Broadway. That makes sense. Yeah. It, it was profoundly off-Broadway. Uh, initial reviews slated this when it when it first hit the stage, and over the years it's finally become recognised. This is a two-hander um, with Anna Kendrick and Jeremy Jordan uh, as a couple who are basically in a relationship for five years and finally get divorced. But and the story itself is not super complicated; it's very straightforward. Why this works and why this is actually kind of special, is how it approaches the timeline that she starts at the end of the relationship and it's shown memento style backwards, whereas he starts at the beginning of the relationship 
and they kind of cross and converge and you see their narratives come together and then separate out um and it goes through you know their first night together their whole relationship his proposal which is the point where they actually cross and then you come and then come out the other end and there's just something beautiful about the balance of this film and the storytelling and the songs are great and i'm very yeah you know, i'm very critical of a lot of um uh, contemporary musicals because I think they go hey why should you be able to remember what the song is um, and this actually has memorable tunes um, the opening song uh, Still Hurting Kendrick sets the tone so well in this and she's great I mean this is I think one of the best things she's ever done you know I think it's daring to actually bring a musical to that isn't pitch perfect and isn't an easy sell to even do this uh, on screen i think is is a, a a tough pitch she absolutely nails it um it's low-key but visually stunning i think this is one of the best cinematic musicals i've seen in a very long time because my my patience for cinematic musicals is fucking low you know it's like you know little shop of horrors and then maybe a couple of others and you know some of the vintage stuff but really the modern stuff very tough you know i'm still waiting for an adaptation of, of avenue q like it's really like modern musicals it's this the disney output and avenue q that that's pretty much it uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> but i you know i just adored this film i thought it was um very honest i think it was uh the performances were were spectacular um it's undeniably sad i mean this is a heartbreaking little movie and do not make the mistake of at the end going Oh, you know, I'll just go back and listen to you know and listen to Adam Kendrick's open performance. I did that. Tell mistake because you've been through the long haul of this relationship falling apart, and you're kind of like, oh, and there's Adam Kendrick crying. I have something in my eye. Yeah, it hmm. is. It is. I just love this film. I'm not crying. I just there's something there's something about me that I don't want to say. I should just do this for review in the style of the musical. Um, I th- I feel like. I feel like I, uh, I I didn't dig it as much as you did. I, I still find it, I found it pretty good. I don't like that this style of musical where, <clears throat> I mean, I've gotten used to it. I used to hate it when the, you know everything they said was a, a song where everything I say is what I mean and I don't know what I want you to do. And it just, to me, it never feels like songs. It just feels like, it feels sloppy and un, like not like inspired at all to me when, you know, I'm going to sit on this couch and you don't know what I'm doing. And, and like the songs never feel like they, I don't need songs that have structure, but I do need like some semblance of like, okay, we're starting a new song here. Uh, or I don't know. It kind of irks me. And I, and I hate that Broadway type, like we're going to get up and go on a date and I'm going to marry you. Like, it just feels like the same song over and over again. So, but I, I I agree. This movie uh, <clears throat> is actually kind of beautiful, and cinematography wise, and the way he choreographs stuff made it uh, interesting. Even if I felt like the songs were repetitive, he uh, switched it up a lot with the um, framing and stuff. And it, it's it's almost like uh, watching the Maria and Tony song from West Side Story, where there's where they're doing their little wedding, like we will marry each other. Like it's almost like that song over and over again because uh, basically how do you choreograph just two people conversing with and, and sh- switch it up enough to make it interesting I think this movie pulls it off uh, 
I think Anna Kendrick's great. I think the guy's kind of uh, he's he, he's too musical theater yeah. for me. Well, the thing is, I mean, you, going back to your thing about you know you you like to feel there's there's an interest or something. I actually find that really annoying because it feels like it feels like operettas to me when that happens. Where they where they where start like, and we're like, and now we're singing. It's like, why are we doing this? <laughs> it gets a bit more it gets a bit Buffy the Vampire Slayer once more with feeling where you go, you go this right. feel it actually feels more artificial to me right. uh, and I think they did this you know, you know, it's like there's only one crowd suddenly forms a dance routine thing the old, right. the old uh, Broadway musical trope that only happens once here and I think that's a really good moment when it happens because you go no this guy's an egotistical prick and he does think the world revolves around him so for the one moment it breaks that breaks into that kind of world it it does it in a way that's actually subverting it as well. And I, I, I was really... sitting listening in the kitchen. I couldn't believe hearing Richard talk shit about once more with feeling. Go away. Chris, go away. <laughs> go away. Stay away in your box. Hmm. Oh, I look so sad now. Chris. Good. My work here is done. You're wrong. You're just wrong, Richard. I made Chris sad. Chris, <laughs> I no, miss I know. you. I didn't say once more with feeling is bad. I, what I said was that it does, you know, the, it evokes that kind of like suddenly we're singing thing and like it really the real awkwardness of it and why it feels artificial. It's actually a critique of that kind of like now we're singing. No, you wouldn't be. You know, whereas this is actually you know this is just it set to song. I think that's I mean, that's the difference. Go we, outside. It was a dancing demon. Go away. <laughs> back in it. Back in all your boxes. No, I, no, I no. miss Chris. I don't. Oh. Uh, but yeah, like I said, uh, this is this is by far you know my my pick of the week, uh, and you know, it will remain my favourite um, uh, on-screen musical uh, until finally, yes, we get Avenue Q. Um, uh, you know, a couple of uh, things that uh, we uh, uh, I don't think you did. You have a chance to catch Lost River? I didn't. Oh, it was only in theaters for a few weeks, few and I missed it. microseconds, uh, which is a real shame. Uh, because, are you being you know, sarcastic? No, I love this film. Oh, people! People have been divisive about it. I people are very divisive about it, but and so what? Um, this Rich is, has got the final word here. Yeah, guys. I absolutely do. I have the mic. <laughs> I also have the control of your mic. So if you get too stroppy, Richard, please. <laughs> the power. Uh, this is the debut uh, uh, as director by Ryan Gosling. Um, clear, you can see the influence. Not. I, I don't even say it's the influence. No spoilers, I think you can see why he works with the people he works with. Mm-hmm. You can feel that kind of shared vision of kind of a fantastical, noirish, slightly nightmarish, uh, modern urban environment. And the basic plot is that it's this town called Lost River, which is a suburb of, of Detroit. It's collapsing. Uh, almost no one's left. Uh, there are odd houses with a couple of people living in there. Uh, Christina Hendricks is uh, has got this mundane job where she's trying to keep the rent up, uh, keep the mortgage up to pay for the house that, so they don't lose it. Uh, her son um, spends the day running around trying to find scrap metal so he can sell it, so he can fix his car up, so he can leave. Um, across the road, there's Saucy Ronan uh, who uh, spends her day looking after her clearly insane uh, mother and this sounds like a standard kind of urban decay movie but it isn't because it's all focused through the lens of a 
a kind of classic fairy tale that they view that they view Lost River as being under a curse. Mm. Um, and Gosling brings in some really fascinating ideas about how cities in decline because people go, oh, you know. Detroit's in, in collapse and we've never seen anything like this before. He goes, no, we've always seen things like this and certain things happen and people deal with it in certain ways and you get this collapse of morality not because the people are immoral but because people see an opportunity to do bad things, to come in and violate a, a broken community ever. And he makes references to kind of Vichy period France uh, and you know 19th century depravity and and Germany between the wars, there's visual clues that are in there saying like, you know, these things are, are kind of inherent in how we treat collapse. And I love this film. It's beautiful. It's meditative. It's the performances are stunning, particularly Matt Smith, who plays the most unexpected gangster ever. Uh -huh. Doctor Who as basically a ravening little sociopath running around because nobody's there to stop it. And all the, the real criminals, all the real gangsters have left. That you know, there's this great shot of him running around that his he's had his friend stick a lazy boy on the back of a, a car and he drives around with a megaphone going, These are my streets, this is my re recycling. He's the king of a kingdom that doesn't exist. Sounds like like a like an post-apocalyptic type. Feel there, is, too. there is an element of that. Now, you know, it's really helped by the fact that Gosling found a lot of uh, Detroit natives to play minor characters. They just kind of crop up and they'll have a conversation with somebody about you know, oh you know, this and this really is their lives. And there's this wonderful naturalism that really worked for me. Uh, kind of evokes Beasts of the Southern Wild. Hmm which is one of my favourite films of the last few years. And it balances so perfectly with this mystical element that Gosling brings in. And I, this is a great film. The one sad thing about this is that this is a completely bare-bones DVD. And I find that inexplicable because people who, who love this film do want to know more about it. And I would have loved even just a commentary track of Gosling picking it apart and explaining where his references were and explaining his homages and what this is about. And I, I honestly expect that in a few years' time we will see a phenomenal Criterion edition of this. Uh, because if, if a contemporary film deserves one that hasn't had a good disc edition, I think it's this. I think this is, this is just... Uh, uh, it, it, I think this is going to be reappraised in years to come. And people will go, no, we were wrong... We needed to give Gosling more credit for what he was doing, and I think that. I, I, I so I am saying, like five years, we'll see a great Criterion edition. Sounds like uh, Ryan Gosling has you under his spell. Richard. Ah, yes, yes. Well, yeah, that's he, a drive reference, guys. He, he is also he. That I, 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 I've interviewed Gosling. That is a handsome man. He's that a is good like looking yeah, he chap. is. He is a good-looking fella. Um, speaking of good-looking fellas. The 21-year-old Mel Gibson, before he was crazy, before he was a complete nut job and jumped on and like. You know, I think he's always crazy. Uh, I think he kept the crazy under control to a certain. I mean, way. Australians in general. Yeah. Don't get me started, guys. Oh, Australia. Uh yeah. Uh, just as uh, Pitch Perfect uh, gets a re-release because um, the you've got a uh, nice new. <laughs> <laughs> nice new sequel out uh, Mad Max Fury Road is out this week and so 
Shout Factory has released the original. Um, You know, what's to say about Mad Max at this point, apart from the fact that it's fucking great? (laughs) This is a true classic. People always say, you know, I mean, it's it's got like that Empire Strikes Back syndrome where Road Warrior is, you know, a great, probably a, uh, a more fun, like more favorite movie to like, but Mad Max... Is just like clinical. It's great, and it's and it's and it has all the passion. I, I would say like it has that first uh, movie syndrome, like like the Terminator Two, where they're really great films, and there would be no trilogy without these films. Um, but yeah, I mean it's it's superb. I mean it's it's v- deceptively simple, um, but I mean no one was really doing. I mean, it started a lot of that Aussie exploitation type stuff. It was going around that same time. So, I mean, like the just chase sequences alone are, are superb, you know? Yeah. Oh, I mean, the opening, um, the opening sequences, uh, there's a great commentary track uh, featuring, I think, pretty much everybody who was involved apart from Mel Gibson and mm-hmm. uh, George Miller. Um, that, yeah, no George Miller? Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. No, like the the major players weren't mm. there, but pretty much everybody else who worked on it. The great commentary track where they kind of tear apart that opening sequence and explain, like, not only is it a great chase sequence, but how well it introduces Mel Gibson. Because you don't see him don't. until after the point where he's driven the Knight Rider off the, off the road. And then, you know, he's been set up as this kind of, you know, hardened killer. You know, he's just kind of stare everybody down in a game of chicken and then he kind of runs out of the chair and takes he runs out of the car and takes his glasses off and he there's this look of panic and you realize like he's still a child yeah he's still incredibly young in this and it's um you know he's great he's charismatic it's a, a really fascinating take of a on a society hasn't quite collapsed yet that's why i think road warrior is so shocking because you go oh no shit's gone to hell now yeah yeah, this is this is completely collapsed, and then you know beyond Thunderdome is when it starts to put things. You know, society is trying to rebuild and doesn't know how. Right. Yeah, you know, like how do you rebuild when everything is gone? The, you know, the basic tenets, the, you know, the the resources you need. This is, you know, a guy trying to be a good, honest cop, and then his entire life is taken away from him, and he just shuts down. This mm-hmm. is a, this is a really sad film. You get to the end and you go, well, you know, spoiler alert, he's killed everybody that. He, that hurt him. He doesn't. But there's though, nowhere did, for him to go. Spoiler: He's, He doesn't kill everybody, though, right? He didn't kill uh, the the leader. No, no, no. Uh, uh, oh, he yeah, does. He does. He does. Ah, yeah. Most point. I thought he just leaves that dude to die in the fire in his. Uh, well, he's not the leader. That's that's um, that's oh, on the subservience. Okay. No, oh, uh, right. Toe Cutter meets a a quite graphic end. But you're really reminded, like when you watch this, who that actor went... actually plays the villain in Fury Road. Yeah, that's weird. The you you watch all this and you kind of get to the end and go, wow! There's a lot of people getting hit in the face with a with a motorbike in this. <laughs> this is this is dangerous filmmaking. Yeah. This was back when the, you know any idiot with a, a Ford Falcon and a, and a roll cage would just go into the outback with a with a few cameras and go, oh no, I'm gonna I'm gonna do I'm a stunt driver now. Right? No, like, no you're not. You're a maniac with a Ford Falcon and you may just have killed yourself. This is re- and there's that famous shot where literally though. Guy just gets a bike in the back of the head. They they, sh- they show it in slow motion. And you're like, I seem to be rubbing it in. They're like, comment track them all like, yeah, no, he's fine. <laughs> you know, this is Sharp Factory. It's a, as always a solid uh, a solid release. Um, looks good. In fact, it actually looks. There's been some criticism of the compression rate on the disc, but considering I've seen 
some versions of this that you know you really can tell that every single scene was filmed on different stock and whatever they had knocking around there's a couple of bits that looked like they were shot on VHS, and they actually smooth a lot of that out, which is probably a really, really good idea. <laughs> I've seen some prints that were just like, oh, wow. ooh, that, oh, was this done on home movie? <laughs> oh, this is a bit rough. So, um, little documentary about Mel Gibson, about how great he is, now he's the most wonderful actor ever. And, you know, you really, you really do get to feel that he was the guy who was going to break out from all of his, his contemporaries. Mm-hmm. And even here, you're kind of going, yeah, he's, he's clearly got something. Um, yeah, I mean it's kind of a no-brainer. You should probably own you should probably own Mad Max. Um, moving on to a film I knew nothing about until this week, um, uh, which is uh, Days of Grace, um, which is a soccer crime movie. <laughs> Who knew? Who knew such a thing existed? We had that. Uh, what was it? Vengeance of an Assassin that had the soccer. Oh yeah, fight I, scene. I wish that it, yeah that we wished that it had just been that all the way through. Uh, Days of Grace uh, is a uh, Mexican crime movie, uh, and the basic idea is that apparently, uh, when the World Cup is on in Mexico, the crime rate goes through the floor. Um, because everybody's so busy watching the World Cup and is so tied up in it, they don't have time to go out and kidnap each other or you know rob each other or do shakedowns or any of this stuff so it's actually apparently the that's why they call it the days of grace is to you know this is when everything is is much calmer um the basic premise here is is that it's shot across three world cups and you know crimes that take place during these three seemingly independent crimes that you actually find out they're all part of the same big narrative and there's uh, they're all tied in with kidnappings and police corruption and gangs and each, you know, and how corrupt the gangs are compared to the cops. Um, I mean, I think one of the things that may throw some people is it doesn't always necessarily make it clear when a scene is happening, and it, sometimes it does that deliberately, and sometimes it's just like, hang on, when's that? Right. I, I did you find that was much of a problem? Um, I did because I felt like this movie almost the style it came like 10 10 years too late like it felt like City of God or Traffic or a lot of these movies that are like started off so this this gritty uh, like you know stark yellow sun filter uh, which which looks great at times, and then other times it looks real rough. And I, I don't I don't mind that in like a Mexico setting because it's supposed to be down and dirty, you know, in, in the middle of the cartel, in the middle of the mean streets of Mexico. But I did feel like the the narrative uh, was very confusing, and a lot of times I just it, it tries to be one of those splices of life type movies, but. Um, but you can't have that and also be like a great, like uh, weirdly structured crime film. And I feel like it tries to do too many things. I didn't think it was. Uh, I, I think this movie does a few things right, and uh, it's mostly in. Uh, it has some good performances and some real uh, thought out and inspired performances. Um, but yeah, I mean, I I, I feel like this. Uh, it's a movie that 
it's it's weird seeing like a a Mexican film that's sort of trying to emulate the way like Americans almost see yeah or or other people see Mexico. Um, it's it's weird. It's, it's very I think man it's, on fire in places. Yeah, mm-hmm, absolutely. And uh, I think it has you know s- some things that uh, if if you're a Mexican film enthusiast, you you see like the inspirations he gets from other cultures almost, but in a Mexican setting. Uh, yeah, I mean, I I liked it, and I, what was all there was points in the middle where I was like. Yeah, I'm not sure who's going where or what the motivation is, and I think it did kind of trip back on itself too much. Right. Um, but you get to the end and you go, I think it it clarifies that very well. And I think it, it would probably stand up to a second viewing where you have a little bit of a clearer idea of who's doing what or what narrative is, is, is going on at one particular time. And it does, you know, it does do that. Oh, you think that you're watching it in this point... But actually, it's at this point. And it pulls that trick a couple of times and, and manages to stick the landing. Oh, and I think this is, uh, you know, it's it's impressive. I think I liked it a lot more than something like, you know, Morris Parosh, which I never really was that that fond of. Um, yeah, I mean, this is... I, I like what it says. I think sometimes, like, like you say, it's a little too tricksy for its own good. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think the performances are uh, really solid, and it's kind of a redemptive tale, which you don't necessarily get a lot of uh, out of Mexican cinema at the moment. Right. There is one point though where you you find the reveal of one villain, and he's a little bit telenovela <laughs> by <Yeah>. that point. <laughs> you kind of go, "Wow, he's going to give him a like huge mustache that he can he can twirl." Oh yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, this is a solid film. Um, not a lot of bonus features. Uh, a little bit of a behind-the-scenes featurette, the trailers. I mean, this is, you know, I I, I get the feeling that there's there is a good audience for this film. I think it's uh, a lot better than it could have been. Uh, I think it could have been much more derivative. I've uh, seen I've seen the like the two dollar bin Mexican gangster films that you know are oh, shot yeah. with VHS. Sure as hell. Those are entertaining as hell, but you know. I think this is good. It's like a good starting out point if more directors try to take a, you know, better lean on the actual filmmaking process rather than just like trying to make a what they think is cool, you know, the you know. Those are great too. They have their place, but yeah. This is a good start. Well, you know what? We've actually got through all the the major titles that we that we're really reviewing for this week. And we've come to a moment Oh dear, oh dearly beloved listener, it is the giveaway. Oh man, I'm now, now, <laughs> because we love you so much, we've got one of the biggest titles from the last year. This is this was a this is a literary success story by a first time novelist that has become a hugely successful film that is the first in a franchise. Yes, suck it, bitches. It's Fifty Shades of Grey on Blu-ray. Fifty Shades of Grey. Fifty Shades of Grey. I had not seen this, and I watched it. Oh, you watched it. And, oh my lord, this may be the worst film I've seen in quite a while. This is the kind of ire that I normally reserve for Lifetime Virginia Woods. Uh, adaptations. <laughs> this is, quite frankly, one of the one of the the worst movies. It's so bad, you really have to see it. Uh, even if you were like, 
I heard that's terrible. You kind of must, please enter this competition because this is a this is a an awesomely awful film. Uh, basic plot is that uh, terrible, unconvincing student <laughs> gets convinced by her terrible, unconvincing journalism student friend to go interview a billionaire because you know you do. Um, both of them should have been thrown out of college at this point. Um, then it turns out that he goes, oh, I like you and I want to spank you regularly. And she goes, oh, I don't know what spanking is. It's like, oh, God. Like, but when she finds out... When she finds out... She will never be the same. They go, they go gliding. And then they meet his rich parents. And then they meet her slightly less rich parents, but still clearly very rich. <laughs> um, this is... Wow. This is a, a car crash of a film. Guys, uh, unrated the, edition. There Come is... On. Yeah, I, I I watched the unrated edition. Oh, like, what do what? they show? Uh, oh, you would know because you didn't see the probably some boob. Uh, there was that in the bit movie. Of, I think there's a, there's a bit of, of of upper penis at one point that mm. may not have been in the rated. Uh, is he shaved down there? Or? No, 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 no. They're all good. they're all hairy. Okay, good. Um, I think I yeah I, I'm kind of like after a while you glaze over. Uh, it's all in the details. This know. is God. You wish this was porn. It clearly isn't. It's clearly, clearly yeah, it's God not, knows who this is aimed at. It's not even porny enough. It's like, oh man. But there's there's a good place in history for this movie. This, um, th- in this, your hearts. No, th- this is actually slightly uh, a, a slightly more excruciating studio attempt to take on uh, BD- BDSM than the terrible Rosie O'Donnell um, uh, Exit to Eden. Um, which, Ew, I've never <laughs> oh seen god that. you do not want to see that uh, this this is oh, all kinds of car crash um, you say Rosie O'Donnell and BDSM and I'm in yeah <laughs> Chris Chris suddenly appeared as well which is a wild really, Chris appeared really creepy I'm gagging after Sam's last remark oh god nothing about this film should have happened but we exist in the universe where it does and therefore Dear listener, we have a giveaway, and here's what you do. Uh, follow us on Twitter at uh, one of us net, and using the hashtag 50 shades giveaway, and that's 50 shades giveaway. Um, oh. What question should they have to? Maybe answer? something related to Rosie O'Donnell doing BDSM. Um, <laughs> Give uh, us your best okay. short story. Okay, uh, you can recast Fifty Shades of Grey. Uh, who would be the combo for the worst possible combination of actor and actress for a remake of, of, 50, of Fifty Shades of Grey? Uh, you know, so, you know, Orson Welles and Shamu. Go, go hog wild. Whoopi Whatever Goldberg you... and Theodore Rex. <laughs> go, go on, just, just lay it all out on the line, uh, because if you're trying to win this, you clearly have no shame, and we love you for it. So, yes, uh, follow us at one of us net on Twitter, uh, hashtag 50 shades giveaway, 50 shades giveaway, and tell us. The worst possible recasting for the leads of Fifty Shades of Grey. Let me uh, throw in an added incentive here. To whoever wins this, if you give us your review, whether it's audio, video, or written, 
we will publish it on oneofus.net right there on the front page and the carousel and everything. Yep. Mm. You can't beat that. You, uh, you reckless, hapless fools. Anyway, you know what? What? We're done. <gasps> We're done. We, we have waded through the pile. No, we haven't. Backpedal. What, we missed Richard? a title. We missed a title because we are professionals. <laughs> so... Uh, yeah, you can do a segue like. No, I'm not speaking gonna, of speaking uh, speaking of, speaking of, of, of uh, missing of, actually, segues. actually, this does actually tie in um, because it is uh, about uh, class consciousness uh, and sexual tension. But this is actually occasionally sexy in places. Mm. Uh, it is the new version uh, of August Strindberg's Miss Julie. Miss Julie. Miss Julie. Uh, which is inexplicably transplanted to, to mid nineteenth century Ireland. Not quite sure why. Where was it originally? Um, uh, Scandinavia. Yeah. <laughs> like, this is a film. That, this is a story that keeps getting transplanted because it's basically about the end of a, 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 an aristocracy, and it keeps getting transplanted. Uh, in this instance, uh, it is uh, Jessica Chastain as the titular Miss, uh, Miss Julie, um, and Colin Farrell. Uh, as Jean, who is the uh, basically the, the butler and, and chief servant in this in this house, um, and he's travelled the world. He's come back. Um, he's you know obsessed with Miss Julie, but he doesn't really you know they can never be together. But there's this tension between them that comes to uh, a head on Midsummer's Evening. Um, you know he's supposed to be in a relationship with Samantha Morton, who is you know just. One of the other uh, serving staff. Most of the action takes place in the kitchen on this one evening of this, you know, the, the three of them with this this sexual tension and this class tension. Um, you know, it it feels strangely dated. You know, the issues are still utterly pertinent, um, and the performances are solid. Uh, you know, I, I particularly liked Farrell who does grasp the formality of Strindberg's language and the fact that these characters are whipsawing back and forth emotionally. Right. Yeah, you know, it's this is inc- you know Strindberg's incredible rawness and this is um pretty bloody in places actually. Pretty bleak, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean this is not a cheerful cheerful little film. Um but yeah, this is um you know it's directed by Liv Ullman. Um and the funny thing is, it feels like Liv Ullman could have made this at any point in the last thirty years, and it would feel exactly the same. Right. Uh, which I'm, you know, I'm kind of, I'm a little concerned by that. It, it doesn't feel like it's needed to have moved in time in the slightest. It may be one of those films that a few years from now people will re- revisit and find it. Um, it's a lot more important than it uh, is now because yeah, right now it just doesn't feel like a. A film, it films like a afterthought of uh, a begotten area. Era. Um, I think Jessica Chastain is. I mean, it's 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 the same like crazy woman trope, but I think she nails it here. I think it. I mean, it's it's especially hard when she's doing like an accent too, and it's and you're always looking listening for that because you're like, oh, she's American. I wonder how good her accent's going to be. It's, but it's I think, not bad. It's not bad. I mean, I think. I'm wondering if even Colin Farrell just so Farrell doesn't have to do it could just do an Irish accent. So I'm right. wondering whether that's, that's part. They're of probably it. true. Yeah. I mean, even Farrell, like I know he sounds he's Irish, but I even feel like he's doing some weird, uh, like not he's doing a, a different he's doing section a of dialect, Irish. Yeah. yeah. Um, um, but uh, 
I think they're all great. Even Samantha Morton is great, and I always love her and stuff. Uh, yeah, I love. I, I, I thought this movie was going to be um, sort of a Jane Austen sort of uh, no, sweeping. No, no. I mean, just from the the cover, that's what I got. But I like. Well, that's how it's clearly all... what they're trying to sell it as, right? Know? And it's it's not. It's this not. Is about, uh... You're not going to get that. But I I happen to love bleak depressing movies and i i love that about this so i uh i would say that's my pick of the week yeah, yeah. It's, it's a fine i'm glad i remembered it it's a you know it's a it's a fine film it um it it's just odd that it feels like i said i don't i don't feel that there was a pressing need for Ullman to make it at this precise moment this really feels like it could have been at any point in her career yeah uh it's extremely well handled mm-hmm. I, if i have one issue with it i think it's that it it does not need the sequences where they leave the kitchen because the original work, the original play, it's a single location. It's all one spot. And all the characters come in and out of there. And I think that adds a certain something and it kind of breaks it up a little bit when they leave the room because mm-hmm. the whole point is there is this claustrophobia of, you know, they're all trapped in their, role, right. in their roles and they can't do anything about it. Um, this really loses that and the ending becomes while bleak is oddly pastoral and mm. you don't get that from Strindberg. I mean, this is almost Grand Guignol in the way he originally did it. It's, you know, bleak and unpleasant and bloody. Right. Um, and it's about people trapped within roles that they can never truly escape, even if they wanted to. It's about the manipulation of the aristocracy by the working classes and, and, and vice versa. With a real feeling that, you know, the aristocracy is dying. You know, it's mm-hmm. coming to an end. And I think Strindberg was clearly... Uh, more optimistic about that than he probably should have been. That <laughs> 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 the, the you know, t- totally democratic future was coming. Yeah, you know, this is a this is a, a it's really strong. I liked so many things about it. Um, uh, it just feels there's a couple of there's a couple of things I think were decisions made by Ullman that don't quite work. I think the major one is losing the claustrophobia of the kitchen, which then people probably would have said, "Why well, is always in the kitchen?" It's like blame Strindberg. That's how he wrote the damn. <laughs> anyway, now. Now we're actually done. Now, now we're completed, uh, and it, uh, you know, it kind of uh, left with a better taste in my mouth. than, uh, oh dear, I don't want a taste in my mouth from um, uh, from Fifty Shades of Grey. That sounds inappropriate. Um, anyway, Richard, <laughs> there we go. Uh, yep. So just a reiteration: uh, giveaway this week, Fifty Shades of Grey on Blu-ray. Follow us at one of us dot net. Um, use the hashtag Fifty Shades Giveaway Five O Shades Giveaway worst recasting of Fifty Shades possible uh, your review will be posted on the site this is an unmissable opportunity to, to break through these vaunted walls again uh, thank you so much for bearing with us uh, I'm, I'm Richard I'm Sam uh, and uh, what is it that Brian says uh, no releases too big no releases too small from Criterion to Catastrophe we review all of them when we finally remember that Mr. Willie's on the stack as well bye bye hey.